All right. And we're rolling. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing really well. How about yourself? I'm doing really well. Um, you look kind of uncomfortable, for, so you can you could adjust that if you need. Oh, uh, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, it's like kind of off to the side. It's a weird way to start this podcast. It kind but. of is. It kind of, <laughs> but now it's it's like the little metal thing is is right in my eye line. Oh, well, I've you can like move it down, like how I have double mine. vision. Eh, I think I'm good. You're good. I think okay. I'm good. You know what? If I if I look at it like this, I'll. Uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of hard not to laugh right now, so it'll be it'll be a good time. <laughs> well, I think the camera's getting your face, so we're good. Okay, as long right? as the camera's getting my face. The mic's not in his face. On the camera. How? Oh, you can ah, see. You're it. good. You're good. Yeah. You're good. All right. Anyways, Travis, how are you doing today? Oh, uh, I think I already said I was doing okay. Yeah, you but did. You did. I'm still doing okay. Just, just so you know. So <laughs> you sent over all these things to talk about, and usually I don't have guests send me this these many things. And I was like, I was reading through some of this, some of these things, and I'm like, holy cow, there's a lot here. Yeah. If a we lot don't... of interesting things. Well, if we don't get to it all, uh, you know, we can always talk about it a little bit later. I mean, the problem is I want to get to it all. Well, <laughs> uh, I don't really have plans tonight, so. Oh, okay. Well, three-hour podcast it is. All right. Let's go. All right. So, anyways, Travis, I know that you're not from the Lansing area. You just moved here recently, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, technically, I'm I'm still in Eaton Rapids right now. Mm. So, uh, I'm hoping to get a place in Lansing in the next couple of weeks. Uh all right, if I can put my email out there, if anybody's got a place, let me know. <laughs> Are you looking to buy a house? Um, eventually. Uh, so uh, as a veteran, I qualify for like the veteran loan opportunities. But I just did this really big thing with my credit where I had a, a bad time of it for a while. And my credit score is sitting at like... You don't need to announce it. 10 points under what I need. Oh, yeah. So anybody who knows is all like, well, that's low. But considering I was almost in bankruptcy and it's... Not yeah. that bad, considering. We uh, just refinanced our house uh, like a year, a year and a half ago. And it was kind of interesting because um, they were like, well, your credit score has to be this number. And in order to get it to this number, you have to bring, you have to, well, for one, my credit card was paid off. So they're like, that actually hinders your credit. You have to raise your credit, and, but you can't raise it too much. It has to be within a certain amount. And it was like, it was literally like $113 and like something cents. Huh. And I'm like, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Yeah. So they're, yeah. they're like, yeah, just use use it for gas or something for a couple of weeks. And I'm like, are you serious? That's stupid. <laughs> I don't know. I um, we were talking about camera equipment and things like that, and I have a I have a gear problem. Uh, I see something and I want it. Um, <laughs> I'm working on I think a fifth set of vintage lenses right now. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, vintage lens for every situation. Um. <laughs> And then I want to get them all rehoused. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I'd like some some more expensive lights um, and more expensive camera. Are you married? No. That, I, I guess I, that's a good thing. <laughs> if 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 I had been married, when I started buying gear, I would have gotten divorced. I know what would happen. <laughs> so. I know my wife would have problems with that. She hates it when I want to buy stuff for the podcast. She's yeah. like, do you need it? I'm like, well, I mean, define need. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyways, where are you from? You're, you're not from Lansing, but you're, you're, you're living here now. So. Yeah. Um, you could say that I'm from Traverse city or you could say I'm from Michigan. Uh, I was born in Lincoln park. I moved around, uh, quite a bit when I was a kid. Um, I've lived in the UP. Uh, I've lived in Alpena. I've lived, uh, Traverse city more than just about anywhere else. Grand Rapids, probably second most. Um, 
Um, when I was in the military, I was out of the state for a bit. Mm. Um, what branch of the military did you serve in? Uh, I was in the army. Okay. All right. How was that? Uh, I mean, it was the army. <laughs> <laughs> what was the experience like? Was it, did you willingly join or did you just kind of do it because you felt like you needed something to do? Um, Need direction. A little bit of both. A little bit of yeah. both. It's, it's a really interesting story because it kind of plays into everything else. Um, I would say that uh, my childhood probably didn't prepare me for, for life very well. Um, and uh, I won't get into that because that's a whole other thing. But, um, you know, after uh, after trying and failing to go to college, um, Traverse City is already a place that's expensive to live. Uh very expensive. Um, and it, you know, everything's service jobs around there, mm -hmm. tourist town. So it's, it's, it's difficult. I uh, feel like you're either rich or you're poor up there. Right? Yeah. That's about the way that it goes. There's re really no like middle class. Um, I mean, there, there, there's not a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there is one, but you know, yeah. Uh, most of my friends are not in the middle class. Uh, or they're trying real hard to be, and, you know, they're just like, they're inching along. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, there's also some people there who have done pretty well. Uh, there was a uh, person I went to high school there, and uh, they owned a farm. Um, I wish I don't even remember her name, but uh, what I will what I will say is, um, like, at, at some point when I was in high school, she came in and she's talking to her friends about how her family was going to start, like, this ice cream place. And nobody, everybody's all like, you're going to, you're going to be broke. Um, <laughs> that place is called Moomers. They have uh, an award for the best ice cream in the country. Whoa. Um, and they're like every place in the Traverse City area carries it because everybody wants to carry it. So. Wow. It's, it's kind of like Mooville is around here. I was going to say it's like Mooville. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. So, so they're pretty successful now. Um, they are, they are. If you go there in the summer, uh, there is a line out the door and across their parking lot. And, um, you know, sometimes I think even further than that. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. That's wild. So big dreams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't answer your question at all though. No, does it? it doesn't. No, no. Um, so you asked when I joined the military, well, basically, you know, I said, I'm not doing anything here. Uh, I'm not getting anywhere. You know, I need to do something. And it was uh, actually right at the beginning of the Bush administration, which actually is a big deal. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I was 19 at the time. And I said, uh, you know, we're really friends with everybody right now. Nobody's mad at us. We're going to be fine. Um, so on uh, what was it? June 14th, 2001, mm. I shipped out. Wow. And that's when I went to basic training. Um this episode is brought to you by Red Bike Delivery. This delivery service operates only using battery-powered, eco-friendly transportation. Red Bike Delivery is there for all your delivery needs, whether it's dinner for the family, flowers for your partner, or new houseplants for your new collection. Red Bike Delivery will gladly deliver those and everything in between. So what are you waiting for? Check out Red Bike Delivery on Facebook or Instagram for more information. Red Bike Delivery, because there's only one Earth. And, uh, you know, a couple months later, yeah, we weren't really so much friends with everybody anymore. Yeah, no. Yeah. So I was actually... Was uh, that scary? Was oh. that a scary time going through basic and everything? Because you did, were you assuming that you were going to go to war? Um, 
Well, uh, 9-11 happened at, at the end of my basic training. Oh, okay. okay. It happened like right at the very end of it. Um, in fact, I remember uh, there's this big test that they give you toward the end where you you have all these different tasks like uh, triaging a soldier. There's some map reading. Um, I don't remember everything else that's on there, but it, it, anything that you have to learn that's not shooting related or book related in basic training is it, you kind of have to do it. And we were supposed to be training for it. And uh, the drill sergeants were crowded around. Somebody had this big truck and they're all crowding around it. And every day they made a stand in formation for a ridiculous amount of time. We're always mad at them. We're like, why are we doing this? Uh, turns out it's planned. They want you to learn how to stand and be quiet for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anybody who's getting ready to join the military, you're going to be doing a lot of standing around for no reason. <laughs> um. Yeah, and then they came over, and uh, one of the drill sergeants is like, just so you know, Private, uh, at 9.21 and 87, so, you know, whatever, um, a plane hit one of the towers, and 10 minutes later, another one hit. Uh, my drill sergeant voice, I don't want to, <laughs> I want to scare anybody here. No, no you're um, good. But no, honestly, uh, trying to make light of it, but the truth is, is that I was terrified, because... You know, everybody else was saying, oh, well, this is fake. They they tried this on the first day of, of basic. Um, you know, they pulled off a thing where they said they needed volunteers because we were going to war and they needed people to become infantry. Whoa. And the people volunteered and they're like, oh, we're kidding. Um, they just wanted to see how people would react. And so everybody, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so messed up. It's wow. It's basic training. Uh, but this time everybody was like, no, it's fake. It's fake. This isn't real. That radio's not even on. All right, well, it's playing, so it is. Mm. I think I saw a tape in it. <laughs> no, no, this is real. It's, it's, you know, it's in the newspapers. Um, so, yeah, I knew I was going to war that day, and uh, I was not ready for it. I was not ready for it at all. How did your family react? Uh, there was a lot of worrying and some crying. I don't know. They, send, they threatened to send me to military school the entire time I was young, and I thought it was really <laughs> ironic, like... Isn't this what you wanted? <laughs> like, weren't you ready for this? No? Okay. Yeah, maybe not to that extreme. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, but uh, I don't know. There's there's not really a way to describe the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just, just imagine that you take a step to better your life, and all of a sudden you have to realize that the thing that you did might end up killing you. Uh and you know you don't even you're not even getting paid well. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So did you go into the military with the hope and the expectation to just kind of better your life, maybe get some free education out of it, and just have some sort of course of action put that's, in place? That's exactly what I did. And then that was completely uprooted. It was. It was. <laughs> I mean, it, it did work out that way though. Um, I needed some discipline. I needed. Um, to learn that hard work actually merited something. Um, I'm kind of still on the fence about that because I know a lot of people who work really hard and don't get anywhere because, I mean, there's a there's a system in place for that, mm -hmm. and it, it doesn't work for the people, I don't think. Um, not always, at least. Uh, but I, I did get college. I, um, I actually have three degrees. Um, wow. One of them's an associate, so it's not that impressive. Uh, the other two are bachelors, and they're basically in the same thing. Um, so I, uh, I went to Grand Valley for video production um, back when it was still a communication school. So I have a degree in 
communications or video production, whichever one you want to say, mm. both accurate. I don't think it's... What, what's the difference? Um, so communication has a lot to do with communication theory. Uh, and there's there's a lot of different like subgenres of that, if you will. Um, there's a thing called semiotics, which is uh, the idea of like symbolism. Like a dollar doesn't actually have any value except for the dollar that we give it, but you see a dollar and you associate it with something. Mm. Or uh, what's that? What is that famous picture? Is like this is not a chair and it's a picture of a chair. And it's, I don't know if I've seen it. Yeah, something like that. It might be a pipe or, or something, but it's it basically it's an inanimate object and it's a picture of it and it says in the picture like this is not whatever it's a picture of. <laughs> it's a representation of that. Mm. But if you ask somebody what that is, well, you know, that's a chair. Right, right. Yeah. Interesting. So what did you go to college for? Did you go to college for video being a videographer? Yeah. Yeah. Is um, that what you in- intended to do initially? I mean, technically I am doing it. It only <laughs> took me a long time to get there. Um, <laughs> some of that is because of, of effects of the military, but some of it's just because of me. How long is that program? Uh, Grand Valleys? Yeah. Well, I mean the, the program that you did. Uh, so it was a four-year program. Okay. Um, I already had an associate's when I got there. I, uh, I did that at um, Community College in Traverse City, Northwestern Michigan College. Um, I think that their courses, their generalized courses, are better than any of the generalized courses I took at Grand Valley because the teachers actually care and they give you time to learn. Mm. And I can't say that about all the professors at GVSU. Not that I'm going to talk bad <laughs> about them. Um, actually, one of the best video production mentors that I know uh, works there at least from time to time. Uh, his name is Tom Bell. Uh, he's a great guy. Name job. Yep. <laughs> yep. Hi, Tom. <laughs> um, yeah, their their program was okay. Uh, it wasn't. It taught me what I needed to know to teach myself more. Okay. Um, but I had already been in the military at that time, um, and uh, I, I really kind of want to talk about a little bit of what it was like uh, to be in Iraq. Yeah. Because uh, really. I'm I'm here to talk about about you know some veteran issues, um, and and the first thing is, all right, nobody really knows what it means to go to war. Uh, when we were deployed, first of all, you're supposed to not tell anybody where you're going, all right. Um, they're they're worried that, you know, people could just overhear what you're saying. You know, you say something in the market, and then there's somebody who's from whatever country there, and they're you know they call their brother, and they say you know oh well, I live next to this military post and I know that, you know, these soldiers are deploying. So that's a thing. Mm. Um, wow. We found out that we are deploying uh, because it was a story on Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we kind of had the same reaction. Wow. Like, oh, don't tell anybody. But the, new, the, the news, okay. I, I guess it, that's the logic. Wow. Yeah. Um. So we found out that we were going because it was on the news. Um, and then we spent a month in, I think it was Camp Freedom, Kuwait. I don't know, this was this was a while ago, so some of these names, I'm not good with names anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I was with 101st uh, out of Fort Campbell, so we were one of the first units sent in. Um, the infantry, you know, went in first with, I, I want to say like mechanized cavalry or Whoever else, we supported uh, D Main, which is mean, uh, that means basically that we supported uh, the general. We, we supported the upper echelon of command um, for this. So we didn't go in until after the fact. 
Um, all of our communications equipment uh, required, you know, security clearances and things like that. So I won't get into that. Um, what I will say is uh, until like the, the government actually fell, uh, they were shooting missiles at us every day. Um, yeah. And, and it sounds really scary and it really was. Uh, but I will tell you that it got to the point where instead of getting like really, really scared about it, I was just like, why, why are you doing this at one in the morning? Mm. I really want to take a nap. I'm tired. <laughs> Let me sleep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that how was, accurate were they? Um, you know, I don't know. So we had Patriot missiles that would shoot them down and, mm. uh, they're basically, um, surface to air missile. That is an anti-missile. Uh, I did see one misfire once Oof. and that was a terrifying feeling because, <laughs> you know, at, at any point in time you get used to the fact, okay, well they shot a missile at us. It's not going to make it. And even if it does, we have a bunker and then alarm goes off or run into a bunker. You see a Patriot missile fire and it just kind of zips around the sky. Oh my God. And then smashes into the ground. Oh jeez. Yeah. I think I was probably just standing there like, <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. It felt like it took about two to four minutes for another one to fire. Wow. It, Definitely wasn't that long or else yeah. some you know, the missile would have hit. Um but yeah, no, I, I actually thought I was gonna die at that point. Um my gosh. And uh you know, then we then we went to Iraq. All right, and that was after a month of them taking pot shots at us already. And uh the first day that I was there messed me up for the rest of my life. You say it so nonchalantly, like, yeah, we were in Iraq and they were shooting mu- missiles at us. And well, I know that was in Kuwait, but yeah, they're shooting missiles and then they're shooting at us every day. <laughs> it's, I, a lot of it's an act. A lot of this, a lot of this is, is just me not wanting to No, be real. I, be oh, real. I'll, I'll cry by the end of this. And this story oh. <laughs> actually is probably my way there. So let's, um, no, this is the thing that messed me up forever. Um, okay, and uh, what what people don't realize is, you know, this was a terrorist organization that was that was really kind of in charge. So the the military had gone through and they had stopped the the military that was there, and it was just people. Um, by the time we went in, they were talking about like the terrorist tactics that were done, and it was it was really similar to guerrilla warfare. But one of the things that they would do is they would take people, women, children, whatever, they put them in the middle of the road, and you stop because you're not going to hit an unarmed, you know, civilian woman, child, whatever. And then they either detonate a bomb under your truck or somebody pops up with a rocket propelled grenade and blows up a bunch of people. And, you know, the Iraqis are all happy and you're, well, that's what you are. You're, 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 you're charred. You're, you're done. Um, and my first day there, I, uh, we were going through a small town. They were just mud huts. Uh, but I was looking uh, to see if there's anybody like pointing weapons out the window. And I, I got a little bit too far away from the vehicle in front of me. All these people cross in front of me. Um, and so there's you know 20 people walking into the middle of the street, walking across the road. When they all clear, there's a kid uh, there. And I'm still moving. The truck is still going slowly. Uh, kid, he was he was young, um, maybe eight years old. I don't know. Um, and I didn't know what to do. 
Uh, so I remember the NCO, I'm not going to say any names, um, but he's in the seat next to me and he's screaming to keep going, keep going. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't want to kill a kid. What if other people die because of me? Uh, what do I do? Oh, sorry. You're good. Um, I got really lucky in this situation. I revved the, I, I, I slammed the truck into neutral and we were still rolling. We were still rolling pretty slowly. And um, I revved the engine and the kid moved out of the way. I didn't have to kill him. I, I didn't have to hit him. Uh, but at that point, there's a person I know, he calls it a, a moral break where you have to, you're put in a situation where your, your morals don't apply. Um, I was worried in that situation that if I didn't hit that kid, that people were going to die. And I was worried in that situation that if I hit that kid, it, it, it's a kid. I don't need to explain it. And if I do, I don't need to explain it. Um, for 10, well, even to this day, I feel guilty about not hitting that kid. And I feel guilty about feeling guilty about not hitting a kid. Um, I put the lives of a lot of people in jeopardy, which wasn't my right to do. And at the same time, I made a choice that at least my life was worth risking over the possible innocence of a child. Uh, and I, I, it's, it's really hard to try to explain this, this feeling that, because I know what I did was the right thing, but I also know that it was against what I was trained to do. Um, I know that uh, I really did gamble with other people's lives. Um, and it hurts. And, and I am, like still to this day, it messes me up. Uh, all right. I um, If I'm driving down the road and, and like a bird or something flies into my car, I freak out. <laughs> like I, I, uh, actually, one of the most embarrassing things is like I'll be driving, it'll be fall. And uh, there'll be, like, leaves on the ground, little gusts of wind will take them. And sometimes they look like they're frogs. Oh my God. And I freak out because I don't want to hit anything. Um, I, I just don't want to hit anything with my car. That's so crazy that something where nobody got hurt, injured, can traumatize you for a lifetime to the point where even to this day when you're driving around – if a gust of wind blows leaves in front of you, you want to probably slam on the brakes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's, what's really messed up, uh, is that a few years ago, um, I was in Kentwood and I was staying with a friend of mine, uh, and I'm in this, uh, it was a, a subdivision and, um, I'm just driving to get to the store. It's like a mile away. I could have walked. I was lazy. <laughs> Um, I definitely drive when it's a mile away. <laughs> uh, 
no, this truck pulls out and it, it like, you know, pushes me into the side and I rev my engine to go around it and they tossed a burlap bag out the window and it gets sucked under my tire. And to this day, I'm positive that that guy threw a puppy under my tire. Yeah. And I wanted to get out of the car. I wanted to smash into his truck. I wanted to rip that guy out of his, his, his driver's seat and just beat the crap out of him. Um, no, no, I, I pulled over to the road and I sobbed. I ugly cried. Um, I don't know. The effects of war is so crazy that it's my wife and I were just talking about this because I was actually reading her some of these things that you had sent me. And I'm like, this is so crazy. I mean, because you had mentioned PTSD and it's crazy that PTSD is kind of looked at something like it's not really understood. And like, obviously, like people know the effects of war and what, what kind of effects it has on people. Right. That's obviously PTSD. Yeah, yeah. Um, and trauma. Very much so. Very much so. Um, and I think most people associate PTSD with, with flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have PTSD. Um, and uh, actually, I do, but... <laughs> ah, the VA. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> I keep bumping into this thing. I'm going to move good. this. I'm Go gonna ahead. Move this. Go ahead. You can uh, turn that lever down. To... Is that better? No, yeah. I don't think I'm going to bump it now. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, <laughs> my head is fat. <laughs> All right. There, that's good. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Sorry, what was that question again? No, it wasn't really a question. I think it was more of a statement on PTSD. But I want to kind of get back to... Um, what happened to you when you were in Iraq and how, cause I know you had mentioned before that you wanted to talk about how children and women are used in, in warfare. Yeah. Uh, it happened in Vietnam too. Yeah. Um, I don't, it, this isn't something that was, uh, you know, specific only to Iraq. Um, I would assume that it happened in Afghanistan. Um, all right. And, and I will a hundred percent say that when, when this happened um, or when I, at least realized that there was no connection between, you know, actual Iraq and 9-11. I was very against it. But looking back at it now, I don't know if I can really fault anybody for uh, taking power out of the hands of people who would throw a kid in front of a car so that they could kill somebody. Yeah. Um, so. But what's crazy is that people here in the United States don't know about things like that. Well, they don't, I mean, I mean, they see it in movies and stuff, but. I've, I've never heard a story like that. It's bad for business. Yeah. All right. And I mean, <laughs> do you think like if that was, if it was talked about more, people probably would be protesting, right? You Children know, dying and I'd like getting to, shot and killed by U.S. soldiers? I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. Um, but we've had some situations in the last, you know, five or six years where I, I think that there'd be a big segment of the population that would be against it. And I think there would be a segment of the population that just wouldn't care. Um, and that's kind of scary uh, in itself. Um, because while, while I don't necessarily... Uh, there's, a, there's a weird thing about service, okay? Um, I don't take a whole lot of pride in my service. In fact, 
partially because of, of the, the, the child incident. Um, I don't even like people thanking me for my service. Mm. Um, and part of that is because I, I, the first couple of times I tried to tell people that story, the, the response was pretty much unanimously. Well, I'm glad you didn't hit that kid because if you did, I'd have to hate you. Whoa. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, these were, these were, you were at a crossroads of a moral, like with a moral decision. I mean, what do you do? You were pr- trying to protect your men. You were commanded to keep going. Yeah. What do you do? You, what if you didn't go? Would would you be punished for that? That that's an interesting statement um, or an interesting question because the the military doesn't work off of rules and regulations like civilians have. Um, we have we had. They have, I don't know, uh, soldiers have the military code of, uh, or sorry, the Uniform Code of Military and Ju- uh, Justice, the UCMJ. Um, and basically what that means is that uh, orders are legal and disobeying orders are punishable with legal actions. Whoa. If you hear somebody say, um, I got an Article 15, that is basically a punitive punishment that is considered a legal standpoint. Um, and to just kind of punctuate this fact, uh, one of my friends married this, uh, punk rocker drug dealer girl. All right. (laughs) Um, oh man. Yeah. Uh, no, she was cool. She was cool. She was crazy. Uh, but she was awesome. But there was a, there was an inspection on his home one time and she forgot to take the laminated pot leaf off their door. Wow. And, uh, you know, how did it go? So his NCOs wanted to prosecute him for it, uh, which would have been, you know, UCMJ. They called the police and the police came and we're going to do something about it. And so you can't, you know, it's double jeopardy. Right. That still applies. So it went to the civilian court where they said, well, it's laminated. You can't do anything with it. We're throwing this out. <laughs> and yeah, his, uh, his commanders, they couldn't do anything about it because it was, he was already, uh, innocent. So yeah, it, it is law. Um, if you disobey an order, you can be, uh, tried. You can, um, now are the commanders held accountable for their commands? Can you, is this something that can be, I mean, obviously you're probably going through military court, so yeah, it, it's probably more biased towards them. They're not going to I can't tell you one way or the other if it's more biased toward them. Uh, I have heard people say that uh, you're in, you're guilty until proven innocent in that court. So, I mean, I guess it's that, like that in every court <laughs> nowadays. Yeah, yeah, nowadays, yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I don't really. I I didn't have to uh, fight anything like that. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, there, there are, there's a catch-all. There are catch-all uh, rules. Like, you can you can be uh, punished for um, disobeying an order. You can be punished for showing disrespect to a non-commissioned officer, which it doesn't specify what that means, hmm. which means that if somebody doesn't like you, they can they can pretty much do whatever they want. So you could, you could look at somebody the wrong way, and they'd be like, that was disrespect. Or in respond theory. and respond in a way where they're like, they didn't like, and that's disrespect. In theory, yeah. Wow. Uh, you really don't have any control of your life. And I let me tell you that when your NCO doesn't like you, it gets worse. <laughs> because I can personally tell you 
that I laid awake in Iraq. Um, and there used to be, I, I don't, I guess they shoot guns to celebrate over there. So they'll shoot guns up in the air. I guess this is what I heard because we Our were military, or their military, their military, oh. their military. Well, uh, civilians, people with guns. I don't know. I didn't ever see it. I just barbarians. Heard it. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. Uh, they did not look like Conan. I will say. <laughs> All right, not the Arnold Schwarzenegger one or the other guy. Right. Yeah. No. Um, I used to lay in bed every night, and I I would hear these guns firing. Um. And I would, uh, I'd be like, Sergeant I is going to, if we have to flee and she needs to leave somebody behind, it's going to be me. Um, and, you know, and I, I knew that that was the case. I knew that that was the case. Um, you know, there, there's a, there's a bunch of times when, when basically we, there used to be conversations about how nobody liked that particular NCO, um, But it was very common knowledge that I was the least favorite. Wow. And uh, so everybody's like, yeah, well, we know that this is the case, but, you know, she doesn't pay enough attention. She doesn't pay as much attention to us because you're around. Wow. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was. What would you do? <laughs> Why didn't she like you? Um, oh, man, there's, there's a couple of things. Uh, I, don't know, I, was, I, was, I was a weird kid. I was a weird kid. Um, no, there, why there were you weird? I don't know. I, I just I think differently than than a lot of people. Um, Probably because you're a creator, right? Maybe. I mean, even though like being like a, a creator, like a videographer, videographer. How do, that's how you say it, right? Videographer. Uh, I prefer cinematographer. They're, cinematographer. They're two different things. Okay. Uh, right now, I'm. I guess right now I am a videographer. But, <laughs> but you're a creator. You create things, so you're kind of like in your own realm with things, thoughts, and yeah, way, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's true to a certain point. Um, but I mean, there there's people who are creators um, that are you know a lot more I don't know adapted than I was. Mm. I don't know. I, I I did have kind of a strange childhood, and again, I don't want to. Trust me, if you want to talk about my childhood, we can, it, there's a whole show there, okay? <laughs> I, I don't want to get into that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was just different. I looked at things differently. I um, I don't know. I like to be goofy. Um, I think I'm a lot more serious now. So, Do you think it's your experience in the military going going into war and coming out that made you a little bit more serious? To a certain degree, Um I also uh, taught martial arts for seven years, mm. and I I got some leadership experience under my belt doing that. Um, so I've I've done a lot of things with my life. It's weird. I don't. I never. I've I bounced around and done a whole lot of things. Uh, I also ran um, the recruiting arm of of the census in Michigan uh, for like a quarter of the state or something like that. Oh wow! Um, you know, at one point it was actually just a couple of years ago when they did this last census. Um, you know, I've done that. I've, I've, I've had some, some leadership experience here and there. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it was probably the military. <laughs> <laughs> now, when did you get out of the military? Um, there's actually two answers to that question. Uh, so I was in active duty, um, and I left active duty. What is, uh, it would have been June 13th, 
2005 because you always the your last day is always like a day before like the whatever year market is so if you okay. sign up for four years it's one day before the four fourth year okay um but uh after that i did some national guard time um and i i signed up for i think like three three and a half years and the whole idea behind that is when you join the military uh and this is something that they like most people don't realize you don't sign a four-year contract, even if it's four years. You sign an eight-year contract, and that other four years is um, it, it's basically uh, reserve service. So once a year, you've got to go, and you basically march or you know wh- whatever it is that they have you do. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do that, and I also wanted more college money. <laughs> um, yeah, the the National Guard will excuse me. Sorry, I ain't on the way over here. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the National Guard will, will uh, pay uh, a certain amount of tuition while you're in the Guard. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a thing to do. Uh, but we were still at war during that time. I mean, the war on terror was not short-lived. No. It just recently got over. <laughs> yeah, 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 maybe. <laughs> How does that make you feel? Um, it's kind of seeing the way things went this last year when they pulled out. Like knowing that you were over there and you had kind of an impact on, on the way things were, and then kind of seeing it all collapse. I don't know if I did have an impact. Um, I mean, maybe not you specifically. I'm sure you did, but but your the people you were with. The, I mean, you went over there for a reason. I went over there because I said I would, and I didn't want to. I mean, I probably could have found a way to get out of it. I was not through basic training yet. I could have come up with some excuse or did whatever but i was going to do what i said i was going to do and that at that point was go to war apparently um yeah but i don't know to be completely honest i don't really pay attention to the news or anything anymore um i i it's all everything is so polarized it's all propaganda um you know everybody says one thing and then does another and it's all politicized and i don't I, I don't want to, honestly, okay, so here's something. It's not even on the sheet. Um, you take an oath to defend uh, the country from any enemy, foreign or domestic, when you join the military, all right? Uh, I had to take it again when I joined the National Guard. I had to take it again the first time I worked for the census, again the second time that I worked for the census, and then I think they had to give it to me a third time when I got promoted to running uh, the recruiting. Wow. Um, and then because so many things were still up in the air during COVID, uh, I worked for the social security administration for a while because I wanted steady income and you have to take the same oath then. So I've taken that oath six times. Whoa. So when I see the news and I see people, um, who are, and it's dangerous. This is dangerous and it's dangerous for me. Um, but when, when I see, you know, this person has done this or, uh, you know, this happened on January 6th, I feel the need to do something. And the truth of the matter is they don't want you to do anything. They want you to do what they say. And they tell you that that's defending this country. Right. But, um, what do you mean you feel the need to do something? I feel the need to defend my country. Mm. Okay. Uh, the Flint water crisis a couple years back, 
All right. Uh, I mean, it's probably more than a couple now. Yeah. I was out of the military at that time. I was going through a lot of stuff with PTSD um, at that time. I don't think I had, I think maybe I was just starting to find help. Um, and uh, poisoning kids is something that you would not do if you were working toward this country's best interest. So I very much debated... How do I want to say this? Uh, forcibly stopping the person who was in charge of the state at that point of time. Mm. I debated it. And um, so I, I, I don't know. There might be people. I might get black bagged tonight just for saying that. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I decided very specifically that. I mean, that kind of makes you. the Having that that feeling kind of makes you a patriot of America, right? Because you want what's in the best interest of, for the, the, the citizens of America and the person that was in control of that situation or any other situation that puts anybody else in harm's way. is not truly American, right? It's and not, yet, it's not in their best interest. You're exactly right. And yet the people who are throwing kids in front of trucks in Iraq thought that what they were doing was in the best interest of their people. Right. And so there's a very there's a very difficult line. Yeah. That's kind of something that's interesting about war is that like especially here in the United States is we always look at it as like we're the good guys. Yeah. And but we're in somebody else's country fighting on their on their ground and they're they're there fighting us and what they believe is right and what we believe is right. But that's the cell. That's right. the cell. Like yeah. all right. I mean it's so. glamorized in movies. It is. It is. Um, actually, there is. A, it has to be. There, there's a deal between um, the military and, and basically Hollywood that says uh, there's a department of the military that works with Hollywood creators. Um, and uh, if you're making a movie like a war movie and maybe you need, you know, a thousand soldiers or something like that, the military will provide those for you. Whoa. Provided that you meet certain expectations, you have to make the military look exciting oh. and desirable. Um, and the people who are in charge of that, I read a story one time. I don't, I guess I don't know if this is true, but I believe it myself. Um, that uh, what was the, there was a movie it was made about, um, I think it was the Cuban Missile Crisis. And there was a uh, pilot of a, an American spy plane who was shot down. All right. And, and I could be wrong about this exact uh, the crisis or the time of the movie, but it was made about uh, about something similar to that. Um, and I do believe I'm right. But uh, so this pilot was shot down. He was awarded, I think, a Medal of Honor posthumously. Um, or maybe it was a Purple Heart. Anyway, the the fact is this guy was, he was killed. Uh, he was killed flying a mission, and it is a matter of public record. He was given an award for it. Um, when the director who made that movie, and again, I don't remember who that is. I know I'm not giving a whole lot of specifics here. Uh, I look wanted, it up. Thank you. Um, when when he wanted to to put that in the movie, he was told that it didn't happen. And he's like, well, this is a matter of public record. No, it didn't happen. And uh, they ended up, I don't know if they CG'd it or rented a plane. Is that 13 days? Is it, it old? Like, it's not that old. 2000? It might be that old. <laughs> Man. 
Bro, that's 22 years ago. <laughs> uh, I don't believe in age. <laughs> I don't either, but I don't a lot of people would say that's old. Yeah. You know I'm 40. You don't look 40. You look I good. Don't. I can do a one-handed cartwheel. I can stand. <laughs> if I go to the bar and I drink, oh boy, um, I will stand on my head before I go home because <laughs> I don't have a breathalyzer and I don't think there's any more fun way to figure out that you know you're able to drive. If I can, if I have enough balance to stand on my head, um, <laughs> I used to not be good at it. I've gotten better at you it. You can so. stand on your head. Yeah. I almost want you to do it now. I know. I don't know. If, <laughs> I, I was actually going to. I don't know if there's there's room. Uh, I'd probably do. I want. I'd want you to move your guitar, and you'd have to reposition the camera. So yeah. You know what we could do? Do it at the end. Yeah. Could we do it at the or you know even if you just want to record it and splice it in, mm. you could do that. You want to do it live? Yeah, I want to do it live. All right. Yeah. Are we live right now? Not live live. But we're, we're, we're recording. We're semi-live. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. And I don't edit anything, so. Oh, so all the times that I bump my, my ear. Yeah, no, that's the, in there. Oh, man. It's authentic as possible. Oh, well, I better not do that again. <laughs> I've had lights flicker and stuff on podcasts, so it's all right. Yeah. Oh, I like your yeah. studio, by the way. I don't Thank know if you. I said that. Thank um, you. I know that I was geeking out over all your equipment <laughs> and stuff here. It's kind oh. of been a work in progress. Um, you know, it's, it's something that's been progression like you know progressional yeah yeah well it definitely shows that you're putting some time and effort into it so, thank you yeah yeah I, I i the thing is like I, if i want somebody to come to my my house and do a podcast i want it to feel as like real as possible i want to feel like like an actual like studio yeah and um i i guess i've always kind of had a like a studio setup but this feels real before I had it like out in the living area and had the curtains like closing off the room yeah. and it just kind of felt odd, felt like you were in the middle of a room. Right. But in this room you feel like, okay, I feel like I'm, yeah, I'm in a room. Yeah, no, it, it definitely seems. And that's, that's actually one of the cool things about technology right now is, is we're having this conversation and people are going to listen to it and people are going to, you're right. All right, cool. <laughs> um, you know, people are going to, uh, they're going to listen to, to what I have to say. They're going to listen to what you have to say. Yeah. And they're going to form opinions about it. And, you know, if you want to change the world, you do it one person at a time. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is important. You're yeah. giving the voice to the, to the person. And absolutely. We talked, you said that's what you wanted to do. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was the goal of the podcast is, you know, I initially started it so I could share, share my story. And I told you that. Yeah. Um, and uh, so many people have come on and shared their stories, and it's it's been awesome. I, honestly, like I love hearing other people's stories, and most of the time, I don't even like talking. I like to just like hear you talk. I want you to be the the star of your own show. I'm really good at talking. <laughs> I can do it all day. I might not say anything, but I can talk. <laughs> so, so um, so when you got out of the military, you you were obviously dealing with some PTSD and everything. How did you navigate that? Poorly. <laughs> uh, it takes a while before any of that catches up with you. Um, I don't know how long it took me to notice things. Um, I know that uh, I was living with some family. I was trying to go to school, and I just I, I kept getting angrier and angrier, um, more jumpy. Uh, and, and it was like a little bit at a time. It's just one day you wake up, and you're, you know, all of a sudden you're just not the same person anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it's, it's really difficult. I think most, most veterans that I've talked to don't, 
think that they've done a whole lot. Um, they don't think that they made like a big difference and they think that they're probably a little bit better off than they are. Um, like you, I maybe you said you went to Iraq and you didn't make an impact. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. I really didn't do a whole lot over there though. I, um, there, there's only one thing that I did that I think was, was worth noting and no, hold on. Yeah. I want to I want to look at something from a different perspective. Okay. Cuz you're always talking about I mean not always, but you know you're you're in this podcast today. T- today. <laughs> I'm always talking. You're always talking. I, I've never heard you any other time other than that one time I was talking, but um each time you've mentioned how you hitting that kid plays over and over in your head like like you did something wrong, but you didn't hit him, but you you almost had to make that choice to hit him, to hit him, to kill yeah. him, to run him over. Yeah. Do you think that maybe, and he's older now, maybe he thinks about you revving that engine and and him running off, and maybe you actually saved his life by you revving that engine and giving him moments to actually think about it? You know what was really messed up about that entire situation? I looked in the side mirror right before I slammed the truck back into gear. Uh, the communication shelters that we had were like these these big boxes on the back of our, our vehicles, and we used to stick like water cans and stuff in there. The people who were there, like the kids, um, they were so poor, they were trying to take our water. And I don't know if they knew it was water. I don't know if they were hoping maybe it was fuel. Um, it doesn't really matter. In essence, that kid almost died over a five-gallon bottle of water. And today, we live in Michigan, which is surrounded uh, by all this water, which we are um, actually letting corporations just sponge off the lake. Uh, so, yeah. But do you think that maybe he thinks about that? Like, I could have died that day, and that guy, that soldier, he could have just hit me, but... By him revving his engine and giving me a chance to run away. Or he thinks that he was just trying to cross the road and get a thing of water and somebody almost killed him for it. Or, you know, I don't know. I hope. But what what I'm saying is that there's other ways to look at it other yeah. than the way that you, you've mentioned it on the podcast. Yeah. I mean, there are. There are. And Cause I, I hope he's doing well. I when hope. you When you tell me that story, that's what I think of. You gave him a chance. Yeah. And and you didn't have to because you were being told that you need to keep going. Right. I mean, it's true. I don't know. It's 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 really difficult. It's it's the entire time that you're in the in the military, the entire time that you're in training, um, you know, they're they're telling you that your purpose is to kill the enemy and then they define who the enemy is. Right. Um, you know, it's it's really hard for people who first get out of the military, uh, because we are so used to this this idea of like you know friend or foe or 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 whatever and um and i know a lot of people um i mean i've heard some scary stories i actually got in a fight when i was at grand valley i got in a fist fight with somebody on a movie set oh my god uh because they were a veteran and this is when the worst part of the the worst part of this whole story um is is i was just getting myself together but I had had anger issues the entire time that I was at GVSU. Um, I was finally like talking to somebody, uh, which is ridiculously hard to do um, in the military. Well, when you, 
there is not really that many good VA hospitals, and I, I hate to put it that way. Um, the only one that I will go to at this point is the one in Battle Creek. Mm. Uh, so Lansing is closer. Won't go to it. Um, Traverse City one. I've had so many bad experiences there. Uh, and and the one why are they so bad? Um, a lot of a lot of little things. Some of it's bureaucracy. Um, I I do want to say that uh, a, a good uh, percentage, maybe maybe even you know most of the people, probably most of the people who work there, really want to be helpful. Uh, and there's like volunteers. There's people who are working jobs, and they they want to help veterans. Um, but uh, you know, some of the things that I could tell you about about care that I've gotten there. Um. You know, when, when I go and I talk to people about uh, my experiences in, in combat, the conversation, at least in Grand Rapids, with several different people has gone pretty much this way. Can we talk about the things that I experienced when I was overseas? Let's talk about your family first. Did your parents ever fight when you were a kid? Well, I mean, everybody's parents fought at some point. Well, we think that all your problems are caused by your childhood. Whoa. Yeah. And, and it, it's beat for beat uh, wow. that, like, not even, like, I'm not taking stuff out. I'm not adding it. That is uh, pretty much. Verbatim. Tr- yeah, yeah. A couple words changed here and there. Maybe wow. a pause. <laughs> so they don't want to take, they don't want to take responsibility for, for the damage that has been caused in war. I mean, if they do, they're on the hook for it. Right. Um, and I don't know if it's the, the, uh, you know, government doing that. I don't know if it's the people who are running the hospitals. Um, I ran into a guy one time who said he was moving to Texas because they take care of veterans in Texas. Um, he also said that you get PTSD by going through training. Um, and I, I can't verify or not verify that. Um, I mean, isn't that subjective though? It is because PTSD is like kind of like trauma. It really is. And, and it's also possible, uh, or so I've heard that you can experience a trauma when you are, uh, you know, younger and then years later something happens and it brings it back. So, you know, if, if somebody maybe dropped a gun and shot themselves or something like that, and then they're going through basic training and they are target shooting, you know, it's possible that the sound of that can bring back the trauma of almost dying and they get PTSD. Um, I've, I've heard, you know, you can get a type of PTSD from hearing uh, a story that is traumatic. And I might have given someone PTSD today. Yeah, yeah. it's very possible. It is. Maybe uh, I should put a disclaimer at the beginning. I'm very sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think it's important to, to share these stories. I mean, and I, I would encourage the person who has PTSD and heard, maybe heard this and whatever to to share their story and maybe why they have PTSD. Yeah. I'd also like to, to say if anybody's listening and has PTSD, it's not, it's not because you're weak. It's not because you did something wrong. It's not because you deserve it. Um, it is a reaction. It's, uh, it's, it's a physiological reaction. Um, my, my understanding of it is that your DNA actually even like shifts. I think, I think uh, some of your, your like old, you know, what we might consider junk DNA or, or more primal DNA, like comes forward. Mm, yeah. Um, and it honestly, it makes sense because that becomes a, a survival mechanism. Yeah. Right? My fight or flight, 
reflexes, whatever. I mean, they're all messed up. Um, if, if I was like in a fist fight with somebody, I think I could handle that better than getting into an argument. Uh, and today that still kind of causes me problems. I, sometimes I'm really good at talking to people and sometimes I'm just not. And like being in conflicts, I, I can't really do it anymore. There's a lot of dumb people too. <laughs> oh my God. There's so many, there's so many like there, there's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. What is that? You, you wrote kids are stupid. <laughs> and then I wrote pizza hut in parentheses. All right. Um, so one thing about veterans and, and this is how this kind of uh, applies is that we always feel like we, we need to be stronger. We need to be better. We need to handle a situation. If it's a bad situation. Um, or at least most of the veterans that I know are, are like that. Um, and, you know, I'd like to think that I have traits like that because that makes me sound, you know, I don't know, heroic. Um, maybe. So, uh, you know, I mentioned martial arts earlier and one of the people that I used to, uh, take class with does, um, animal rehab up in the Traverse city area. Uh, so, you know, this, this situation happened and, uh, I was, I was working, uh, at pizza hut a little bit. All right. Um, I should mention that the film industry is not necessarily the most stable thing all the time, especially, uh, you know, I think one of the, one of the main reasons I said I was coming here is to talk about some of the issues that I've had with, uh, with like, you know, the, the response to, to war and combat and how it's partially affected my career. Um, and it has over and over again, uh, not for the, not for the better. Um, but, uh, you know, I was working at Pizza Hut for a bit, and it wasn't that long ago. It was, I don't know, five or six years ago, maybe. Mm. Maybe not even that. I don't know. Um, I Time is weird. Uh, I don't know. I think most people with t- PTSD have problems keeping track of it the way that, like, w- when your memories are. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there's this raccoon that, that's coming up to this Pizza Hut store, and it's out in the middle of nowhere. Um, all right. But uh, this raccoon is is walking around and it's kind of waddling weird and it's getting really close and it's not really scared of people. And honestly, it almost came in the door when I opened the door <laughs> at one point. And, uh, and I started thinking, okay, this is weird. Uh, so I called up my friend and I said, okay, well, what's what's going on? Why is this raccoon acting like this? And I went through all the, the things that I saw. Uh, and she says, well, there's a distemper outbreak. And um, basically what that is, is uh it, it has some of the symptoms of rabies um and i think she said that it, it basically becomes like a respiratory thing and they they die like gasping and stuff but they lose their fear of humans first it's contagious to dogs i believe um you know i'm, I'm not a, an expert on this uh but anyway i'm working at pizza this thing is kind of making circles there's a couple other restaurants a couple other stores and, um, and I say something to the manager who's 19 ish. He just laughs it off. And I said, well, we need to call animal control. And he's laughing. He's like, whatever, it's fine. You know, it's good. I'm like, no, these, the raccoon is not afraid of humans right now. You know, you can't say whether it will or will not attack a child when that child comes in. If the child gets, you know, I mean, you get a toddler and they see a raccoon walking yeah. up to him. I'm going to be like, oh, let me hug this, <laughs> you know, um, they're kids. Yeah. It's cute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, or it, somebody gets their dog infected. Um, so, uh, you know, after pleading my case and being laughed at for, 
know, probably 15 or 20 minutes, I say, well, somebody's got to take care of it. Um, I happened to have a Hanbo, a half staff, uh, in my car. Um, so when I caught up to the raccoon, there was about four other people who thought that it was rabid that were going to kill it. And none of them had a stick. So I don't know what they were going to do, but I'm guessing it would have taken a long time to, to, <laughs> there's no reason for the animal to suffer. Uh, so I took care of it. And I was not right for a while after that. Um, I was angry. I was defensive. And for all of the kids' uh, parts, I want to say that they were absolutely 100% certain that I did it because I wanted to kill the raccoon. They were not supportive at all. And I'm still mad at them for that. <laughs> like, I, I wanted... I just wanted them to call animal control. They couldn't call animal control. Um, I'd beat a raccoon to death with a stick. That doesn't... I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to think about that. Do you think that had a lot to do with the effects of PTSD and... I think what happened afterward had a lot to do with the effects of PTSD. Um, because I wasn't myself. I wasn't myself. Um, even talking about it, I... Did you just feel like maybe you were like a shell of yourself? Like, I mean, obviously you probably didn't feel normal. Like, what is what is that like? like you know, I was thinking about that today. In fact, um, cause like a, a normal, uh, like a, I don't want to say normal person like me, you but can say normal, whatever. <laughs> I'm not, a I, like, I'm not a, any better than you or anything. I didn't mean that, but, um, you don't have to be a person who doesn't have PTSD. Yeah. Doesn't understand that. So right. what is, what is that like? Um, so, It's probably a little bit different from every person. Here, here's, here's, here's the thing that I'm, I'm, I, I'm still dealing with. Um, I've had uh, insomnia since I joined the military. Uh, when, all right, when, when I was, um, when I was in the military, uh, you know, my, my usually my night's sleep was somewhere between two to five hours if I was lucky I got Jeez. five um I burned out my brain like I, I know I did um like I'm sitting here talking to you and maybe I sound smart maybe I sound like an idiot it doesn't even matter uh because I still have uh trouble sleeping if I'm in stressful situations I still have trouble if I get into an argument I might not sleep that night if I get into an argument at 10 a.m wow it might come back to me that night and the issue with this is um, well, first of all, you tend to work late night, uh, late nights in in the video production industry. Mm-hmm. All right, um, but even more than that, uh, the the effects of sleep deprivation on a person are terrible, and it's even worse if you have problems. Yeah, uh, if you have PTSD, it accentuates everything. It does. 
So when I don't get enough sleep, I get paranoid. I get angry. Um, I will interpret things in a more negative way. Uh, I lose uh, my ability to be assertive when I'm not in a rage, um, which makes it a lot easier to get angry. Um, I mean, there, there are so many things. I mean, it takes, it makes you a little bit more irrational. I mean, if even yeah. for somebody who doesn't have, uh, like a traumatic background or PTSD, it makes everything. I mean, like when I go to work and I, I, I'm not, I'm tired and I haven't had my coffee for the day and somebody wants to come at me with some bullshit. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not having it. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> we're, we're arguing now. Yeah. Um, now imagine that like by 10,000, like, yeah. So I'm actually just dealing with this because we, we just, you know, I'm, I'm still relatively new, uh, at the VFW home where I work. Um, and we just had the biggest event that we have all year. Um, and it was, you know, I've been there. My position has only existed for two months. Whoa. They, they created it, uh, because the, the director has worked with me in video production before and mm. he basically knows that, you know, I will, basically I'll put myself through whatever to try to get the job done. And that's what I've been doing, which means that I've been working a lot of hours and I haven't been sleeping. And, um, you know, then I, I, we had this event and, you know, I worked probably two or, or three, 13, 14 hour days in a row. And, you know, then we needed some stuff, uh, done after that because we had a tight schedule and we were supposed to have a tight turnaround. And the people who I work with don't, you know, they, they, the, the position was done with an iPhone before, or <laughs> they didn't have any kind of coordination. So maybe somebody would step up and volunteer. Wow. Um, so, the, you know, this position exists in a completely different facet. I have not been sleeping. I have not been sleeping. And, uh, what, what scares me the most about this is that I work with some people that I think are really great people. And, um, you know, the, the one person, uh, who, who I work directly with, um, who, who is just great, uh, you know, for as, for as much as I know her, um, and we did things a little bit differently. She's like, well, can I get all the, the raw photos, um, for things? And I'm like, well, I've never, you know, they've never asked me that before. Why, why are they asking me that now? Why, what is this person trying to do? Are they trying to get me fired? Do they think I did a bad job? And that paranoia starts to spiral. Yeah. And, you know, everything that I, and it's, it's rough because, um, I know that these are good people and I know they're trying, I know that everybody has their flaws and I know that, that, you know, I don't want to dislike people and I don't want to be afraid of people. Um, incidentally, Working in the film industry, you do meet a lot of people who are kind of narcissistic. Uh, so the the worst part is when you're, like, worried that you're just being paranoid about something. And so you don't back away from it. <laughs> that that has cost me uh, several times. Time, money, respect, because then you're on their radar. And if they actually are, like, narcissists or they have narcissistic tendencies, they want to go around and, like, you know, tell everybody that you did something terrible. Yeah. When, you know. In reality, you're just like protecting yourself, or well, they always seem to exaggerate every, every, the situation to make themselves look better. 
Yeah, yeah. Or they just turn it around. I've got I've got an old phone in my car that I'm keeping. It's for self defense purposes uh, because one of the producers that I worked with. It's not in your car. <laughs> nope, it's not. It's actually it's actually really not anymore. It was at one point. <laughs> um, but no, no. Uh, the producer took money that somebody gave him for a project, invested it in something else, and then tried to make me buy all the backup hard drives, and I wouldn't do it. So was it for something big? Kind of, kind of the money went to a bigger project and that person actually, uh, just got thanked for, for something that they did. Um, and talked about what a great creator that they were. And, uh, yeah, I think it was funny because I knew I, I, I knew that I had to stop working with that person when they, when they basically would start saying things like what I really want to happen is I'll just write the, uh, the checks and Travis can do all the producing. Um, basically, you know, I know people with money, so I won't do anything. And Travis yeah. can do all the work. Wow. You know, and then every now and then it'd throw around, well, you probably won't get paid a whole lot right in the beginning. There won't be a lot of money to go around. Oh, come yeah. on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, that that kind of thing. Um, and by the way, if Tom, if, if you're listening, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Um <laughs> I was told specifically, like, don't go on and talk about stuff like that because, you know, what happens, people just associate you with, like, bad things that have happened. Yeah. And uh, and, and they'll judge you for that. Um, the truth of the matter, you know, is, I'm not going to say any names, um, but I know that there are stories out there about, like, what's going on. Um, and I know that it, everybody who works Stories on that, as in, like, news stories? No, no. They're stories. They're no, just people, rumors. Yeah. Things things circulate. People talk. Yeah. People talk. Um. No, I have I have managed to uh, to work with a bunch of people that are not great um, in the industry, and every time I do, I have to turn around and I have to fight my way back uphill. And the the worst part of that is, is that um, I actually think that I am more prone to doing things like that because, you know, I've got this thing where it's it's you know I'm a veteran, I've been to war, I can keep going. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if this happens because I am a veteran and I can survive this, and I'm not going to stop and. Um, and a lot of times I have ignored some really big red flags in, uh, in people that I've worked with just because I'm like, no, I can get this done. I never have to talk to that person again. Usually those projects don't get done. Um, so you end up spending a whole lot of time and money on them and, and, you know, um, there's only so many times that you can talk to a producer who, who's like, oh, I would have answered the phone when we had our meeting, uh, but I, I scheduled it during my, my shit time, uh, of the day. <laughs> yeah. Like, so basically you're saying that you scheduled me when you knew you were going to take a shit. <laughs> <laughs> so what, how long ago was it that you were working for a production company? Um, I mean, technically I have my own LLC. Okay. Um, but I've uh, I've worked for different productions like what is what is your LLC for? Uh, so it's Visionary Media Productions, okay. um, and it is a, basically it's a general all around production company. Um, I don't as in like what like you produce like commercials. Uh, I've done a whole lot of different social things. media stuff. Uh, some social media, some commercials. Um, I've done some nonprofit things. Uh, that's how I got the job that I, I do now. Um, you know, I, uh, I've done some short films. Um, I am working right now. I have a, a film, uh, that I've been working on for a while, uh, called Indigo Blood, 
that was, it was supposed to be a grindhouse film. It was supposed to be part of uh, uh, a bigger production where, where a bunch of us got together and we all wrote our short stories. And um, I actually helped coordinate so all the stories fit together. Uh, it was me and one other writer who did that. Um, and there were some creative differences. And I, I decided that I was better off. Uh, well, I decided that I was more comfortable taking it uh, and, and trying to do it on my own. Um, and so now I'm in the middle of trying to actually find other people who want to uh, either write part of the story or direct part of the story. Um, there's a guy named Trevor Norkey who I went uh, to Compass College of Cinematic Arts with. Uh, that was the other college that I went to. Um, and he he's a he's a writer. Um, he is a he's a good writer actually. At one point, he was probably one I want to say one of the top content creators. Uh, back when both um, MovieWeb and uh, Screen Rant were, were still doing like written stuff before they switched to all video. Wow. Um, so he he said he's, you know, he's been flown out to, to like uh, premieres of Marvel movies and stuff. And, Whoa. Um, I guess he's met uh, Chris Evans and, and Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Scarlett Johansson. Um, so he, he would tell stories like that. But he's working on uh, some of his own stuff right now. Uh, but he is working on a uh, a part of this story. Um, and to me, it's really important to, to have other people work on this for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I don't want to do something just all on my own. I like working with people. I like working as part of a team. Um, and the other thing is, is because I worked with other people to write part of this, um, just to separate my writing from their writing, like they can take anything that I used and that I, that I, that I gave them. That's fine. Um, my character is mine. That story is mine. Everything else is theirs and I hope it works out for them. Uh, the rest of the story is going to have to be altered a little bit, which means I'm going to have to alter mine a bit. And if somebody else writes it or somebody else helps write it, then that pulls, uh, the legal pressure away from me. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be smart about it. I'm trying to be smart about it, but it also, it also works out because I do want to work with other people. Um, that's actually one of my favorite parts of making movies is that it's, it's a collaborative art form. Yeah. You know, everybody talks about how the director is so great, but the truth of the matter is a team. Yeah. Yeah. The director has to have a director of photography. Um, you know, uh, if, if the director is lucky, they will have an art director because art directors are, are just crazy uh, important. Like the, all the little stuff that you see in movies that you, you know, you wouldn't notice in the background, mm. you know, you can thank an art director for that. And, you know, no matter, like you think of um, like the Lord of the Rings movies with all the different cultures and stuff there. Now it is quite possible that all that stuff was, was, you know, meticulously thought out and sketched specifically by Peter Jackson, that he was all like, well, let's make the dwarf stuff like all geometric. And then we'll have the elves all, you know, live in trees and it'll be like natural and all curvy, like, right. You know, like nature. And then Mordor is just going to be pointy and spiky. Maybe he did all that himself. I'm guessing that there was some help in there. Um, because I mean, when, when you're imagining that much stuff when you have to build you know an entire world mm-hmm. uh, it's really hard to do on your own and there's you know if you can if you can say well you know something in this genre what do you right. think of this and you have somebody like bring you some sketches and you're like i like this one best let's let's go with that right um you know that's teamwork and you're that's, you're still going off the director's ideas right yeah that's interesting i never actually really thought about that 
yeah. all the different aspects of like what goes into a movie. I mean, you know, sit and watch the You're credits and there's, yeah. like, you know, yeah. I mean, it goes on and on and on Yeah, and 1200 names or maybe more. I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah. There's a lot of people work on films. That's crazy. So what is, what, what are your dreams or goals for uh, working in that industry? I want to change the world. You want to change the world? <laughs> I want to change the world. How so? Pretty easy, right? Um, <laughs> by doing podcasts. By doing podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So the right image shown to the right person at the right time can change the world. Um, you change the world one person at a time, one mind at a time. If I can make something look at somebody look at something in a different way, if I can get someone to look at something in a different light, um, you know, maybe that person grows up to become president or, you know, maybe somebody who's actually important and not, you know, politically bought. <laughs> right. Um, you know, uh, there are some people who are not politically affiliated that have done really, really great things. I mean, if you hear stories about, uh, and even sometimes, you know, celebrities, um, you know, there's, there's a hundred stories about how Keanu Reeves, I, I don't know how he has any money left. He just gives it all away. Um, you know, and Ashton Kutcher, uh, yeah, he saved, uh, um, was it like a sex, sex trafficking? There's so something to do with works, sex trafficking. Yeah. He works with, uh, I think the FBI specifically. Oh, yeah. And, and like he, it's not something that he did. It's something that he does. I guess he's, uh, recently has like turned down films for it. Wow. Um, you know, which basically means he's turning down millions of dollars. Um, so good on, good on him. Kim Kardashian. People give her shit, but hey, what? she's she saved people from getting the death penalty. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Here, let me look it up. Yeah. Um. Let's see here. I'm actually really happy to hear this. Yeah, I mean, people give her shit, but yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know how to word it. Let's see here. Yeah, she's uh, freed prisoners. Okay. In a twist of fate that many people never expected from anyone anyone in the Kardashian-Jenner family, Kim Kardashian West has been on the path to becoming a lawyer and a prison reform advocate the last few years. On Sunday, April 5th, her new justice documentary titled Kim Kardashian West, The Justice Project comes out on the Oxygen Network. Huh. The documentary is all about her involvement in in and advocacy for prison reform. As a public figure, she spent the last few years trying to bring national attention to the cases that have been overlooked and people who should be freed from their sentences. The new documentary details how Kardashian West... Oh, come on. There's an ad. Oh, I hate that. I know. Uh, how Kardashian West... Where was I? Details how Kardashian West first started her quest to become a lawyer and who she's helped in an effort to change the criminal justice system so far. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it goes on. Yeah. I could read the whole article, but. So is it possible that uh, Kim Kardashian is, is kind of like, I don't, I don't know if this is a, a, a great comparison, but like Dolly Parton is, is like, she's really smart, I think. Um, and uh, you still hear things about her. Like, she's she's apparently very altruistic. But, I mean, I'm pretty sure that she just capitalized on her boobs. Um, <laughs> and then she used that and, you know, did some good business stuff with it. Now she gives away, like, money and helps people. She's a singer, too. And she, and she can sing, <laughs> which is a talent. Yeah. 
No, but I mean that that is true though, right? Is yeah. That, and so there's there's going to be a bunch of Dolly Parton fans who are going to be like, I kind of am not pissed <laughs> off at this guy now. Um, like he did say good things about her, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's really cool when celebrities uh, use their position to make an impact in the world because I think it's so easy to get kind of caught up in like being up on the pedestal and thinking you're above everybody. You don't need to focus on the person that's sitting in a prison cell or a jail cell. Yeah. And, you know, when you, you're literally could be fed grapes and be, you know, fanned with a leaf all yeah. day long, you choose to help other people that are below you. That's, I think that's incredible. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and that changes the world. It does. It does. Uh, yeah, I wanted to do something like that. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm still uh, going to be able to at some point. We'll see. Um, I, I guess... Uh, you know, well, it wasn't like J.K. Rowling, like, 40-ish when uh, she did the, the Harry Potter stuff. Yeah. You know, and now she's a very divisive person. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I don't want to go that route. Uh, what was she, what did she say? I can't remember. Oh, trans women are not real women or something like that. Something to that effect, yeah. 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 Uh, I've also heard a couple of people say that um, that the... Uh, goblins in her books are are basically representative of the Jewish people, which mm. I I don't think that they're painted in a great light, at least not physically. Um, I mean they're goblins, right? I don't know if that's true. Um, we're just throwing some shit out there. <laughs> yeah, well, if it's not true, I definitely don't want to say something like that, right? Uh, you know, uh, but if you know if it is true, then I mean honestly shame like yeah that, that's that's not okay um yeah um so real quick let's talk about what you're doing right now for the vfw uh you have a mission statement yeah 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 are we wrapping up here because yeah. how long have we been going an hour and, hour and 20 minutes okay wow. all right yeah we could talk forever we really could and we haven't gotten to everything on this list no. yet, by the way. um before we actually do that i i, I would like to take a moment and actually revisit something. It was a powerful story that somebody told me and it, it kind of fits into uh, what we were just talking about. Um, so uh, I, I have this friend and I'm, again, I'm not going to say their name, um, but uh, he is also a veteran and uh, he told me this story the other day and we were, we were actually having a conversation uh, not too long before this about how th there were a bunch of interpreters in Iraq that probably saved, uh, you know, my life or his life or definitely other soldiers lives by, basically saying we want to help the American people um, and they became targets. And, and we offered a lot of them uh, and their families uh, the ability to come over to America. We did not uh, as a country follow through on that. And a lot of those people have had like them or their families have been killed. Wow. Um, all right. And so we were talking about this and I was really surprised when uh, like a little while later we were having a conversation and he's talking about how he doesn't trust um, like Middle Easterners or, or Muslims. And I was very thrown aback by that statement. And of course, my first thought was, well, that is, you know, some racism right there. <laughs> um, and I, I asked about it and I, I actually, I think we started to get into like a, an argument about it. And he told me the story. Um, he was apparently at like a detention camp uh, where, where they held uh, prisoners Okay. Um, 
I guess, uh, you know, a lot of them were considered maybe political prisoners. And again, I, I wasn't going to give any details about this. Uh, but what he said was that, um, you know, they would, they would confiscate letters every now and again, and there'd be people's names from the, the, uh, you know, the guards there, the people who were working there, the Americans that were working there and they're sending out the names to people in the terrorist organizations. And, um, you know, they would, they would get threats, you know, we're going to find and kill your family. Uh, and so, you know, while, first of all, um, let me very plainly say, uh, that, um, I haven't like ever had any, any, uh, issues personally, except for possibly, you know, in combat, uh, with anybody who's Muslim and I don't, I'm not trying to speak out against, uh, that faith or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I, Honestly, there there are good and bad people in every faith. You can't judge. Oh, believe me, I know. Yeah, I've had people on that were uh, part of a Baptist uh, like Ooh. cult, Ooh. and I grew up Baptist, so yeah. I, I get it. Yeah, there's definitely extremists in every religion. There are, there are. So please don't, you know, think um and and yeah. you know, please don't don't use this as a way to you know as a reason to judge uh, people who from the Middle East. Right. Um, we're not racist here. Well, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just want to make sure those listeners, yeah, you know, don't know. You're good. But anyway, you know, he, he's got a family. He's got kids. Um, and I mean, you never know. He says that uh, that that some of the threats that came out basically said that his name was on a website. That their people's our names are on a website. Oh. Um, and I don't know. You know, I mean, on one hand you need to listen to that and believe it if, if somebody tells you that, you know, on the other hand, um, you know, the same people at one point uh, tried to demoralize troops by dropping flyers saying that her girlfriends were home sleeping with Bart Simpson, um, which I, I hope is not true. <laughs> I hope that's not true because uh, that paper cuts are painful. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, if I was in uh, his shoes, I would probably be very wary, uh, you know, of, of uh, Middle Eastern folk too. And the sad thing is it's not his fault. It's not their fault. Are you not? What's that noise? Is that upstairs? I think so. Huh. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. They found me. <laughs> Everybody get down. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not, it's not his fault. It's not their fault. Um, you know, again, and, and the, the vast majority of, uh, of, of, you know, I think the Middle Eastern people probably don't support that kind of thing. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, murder is, is, uh, definitely frowned upon in, in most, every, every real religion, I will mm -hmm. say, every real religion, I will say. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's basically they're, you know, they're, are, uh, basically fastest of that religion that basically said, be nice to people. So, but on the other hand, there are people who use that kind of thing as an excuse to hate people yeah. and kill. So, um, and you never know which one it's going to be. And when it comes to kids and family, yeah, I, I guess I, I'm just going to say, I, I, it's definitely a prejudice. It's something that he's aware of, mm -hmm. but there's a reason behind it. And I don't believe that it's, you know, like actual racism, as you would see. I, right. I think it's something that soldiers, uh, certain soldiers, I didn't have to deal with that. 
but he does. So, all right. Um, I want to put a little little caveat in here because, uh, you know, I'm about to talk about the VFW National Home. And uh, first of all, my opinions do not represent anything uh, that they say or stand for. All right, so please don't be all like, well, you know, I'm still offended by what this guy just said about Muslims, so, you know, I'm, you know, screw the home. Please, please don't, because, uh, you know, that's that's something that I said, and, and hopefully I was nice about it, because, again, I... Well, I think it's interesting, because it gives... Because here in America, we're supposed to be so accepting of everybody. But supposed to be. We're supposed to be. Supposed to be, yeah. I mean, we're obviously not, but... um. It, it's strange. It's interesting because, you know, like some people have prejudice towards Muslim people just because of their religion. Yeah. And this guy, from the sounds of it to me, sounds like he's afraid. Like it's not necessarily, I mean, it's prejudice. Yeah. But it's it's almost like a safety concern in a it, sense. It's not necessarily yeah. like a true prejudice. Well, he, and he in says. The same, in the same fashion, if you were to be overseas in Iraq and you you're constantly looking around at the people around you wondering which one of these are, which one of these people are going to attack me. I used to lay in bed thinking that I was going to get killed like every night because they were just shooting off guns and I didn't know if they were attacking or not. Um, you know, and that's, that's a thing. Uh, he's still got that fear. And, and I, I asked him if I could talk about this today. I did. Um, and, uh, you know, he says that he's trying to deal with it. It's something that he's trying to deal with. He's trying to focus on. Did he um, ever find out if it was real, if there was a, a real list? He believes it is. Uh, he definitely believes it is. Um, and honestly, if I was going to say anything about that, I would say that he should keep believing that it's real because, I mean, if it's not real, whatever, and that's a little bit damaging toward him, hopefully he doesn't take it out on, on innocent people. Right. If he starts doubting it for a second and it is real and one of his children dies, he's never going to be able to, he'll never forgive himself first of all. And I change everybody's names, change everybody's names, move. Why didn't, why didn't, why didn't I, you know, why didn't he think of that? Yeah, maybe, maybe he can. I don't, you know, I don't know. Anyway, um, but you know, moving on from there, I know you, you want to wrap up here. I don't want to keep you too. No, you're good. You're good. I just um, try to keep it around an hour. So yeah. Um, before I talk about the national home, do you have any question about anything specifically that's on this list? Is there anything oh. that looks really interesting that you want to? We hit on a lot of it. We hit on possibly even most of it, but yeah, there's definitely most of it. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess, I guess without going too detailed, how did you manage to kind of overcome some of the some of these things? Uh, the PTSD, obviously, is something you still kind of uh, yeah. struggle with. but And I know you did martial arts for a while. Did that help? Oh, my God, that saved my life. Um, so there's a couple of things. First of all, uh, drugs. Um, <laughs> what kind of drugs? Uh, so MDMA, um, I've tried a couple of times. Um, and Was that uh, like in a clinic? Or did you do it at, on no, your own? That is that is something that they, they're they're <laughs> working on. They're talking about. Um, by the way, this is all alleged. So if you are a police officer listening, uh, or if you work at the VFW National Home, know that I'm not telling the truth right now. <laughs> uh, and if you don't work there, I am absolutely just listen to what I'm saying. Uh, I won't say that I'm telling the truth, but wink, wink. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, they, it, I mean that's ecstasy. 
It's ecstasy. Yeah. Um, that I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, a uh, um, uh, psychedelic. Um, yeah. and what I, what I'll say about that is, is when the world was at its ugly, when I, when I was, you know, really at a bad point, uh, it let me see that there was still beauty in the world. Um, that being said, they are actually looking at uh, uses for that as uh, a treatment for PTSD. I thought they were. I they, thought they were doing it. Uh, I don't know I if I thought it's, MAPS was doing it. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Wait a minute. MAPS? Mm-hmm. What is that? Hold on. I'm going to look it up. Okay. I just talked to somebody today who works for an organization called MAPS, so it's the same thing. That I'm, I don't think it is, though. Okay, so MAPS is a multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah no, that, that that is not the same place that my friend works, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they're working with soldiers to um, help with PTSD and all kinds of other stuff. I think it's still in experimental stages, though. Yeah, it might be. It's it's kind of like, um, you know, the, the cannabis prohibition that they had mm. uh, where, yeah, it, it, it eventually it might be something that's more mainstream, but yeah. Um, like right now I'm almost positive that the federal government won't support it. If oh no, I mean the federal government doesn't even support cannabis. It's still federally illegal. Yeah. So if, yeah. you know, like if you go into the VA, um, and you are taking, uh, cannabis for like anything like sleep to help you with your sleep. Um, I mean, you really shouldn't talk to doctors about it. They might know about it. They might be able to tell, um, hopefully not. Um, if I, you know, if I talk to anybody about anything that I, that I have done in the past, um, or even currently still do, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, don't put that in your notes. And there's only one hospital that I'll do even talk to anybody about most things at, and uh, again, Battle Creek. <laughs> um, if you are a veteran, you need to go to Battle Creek. <laughs> you can just choose which one you want to go to. Not really, but they're not going to stop me from going. <laughs> So, uh, it's right now it's not too much farther than Lansing. So Mm -hmm. it's not that big of a deal. Um, and I can even make a a case for the, the pay because of like, if you have to travel a certain amount of time, like they'll pay your mileage. Right. Um, but that's one of the reasons that you can't just go wherever you want because you know, why not go to Texas? Right. Right. Go to Alaska. Right. Got my mileage paid for. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, so there, there was some of that. Um, martial arts helped a lot. Uh, the VA wouldn't help me like with any mental health like they wanted me to see a social worker but that didn't i mean basically just listen to my problems Mm -hmm. um and most of that was modern stuff that was caused by like ptsd it was like me being mad at people right or or me not being able to hold down a job at one point or or, you know whatever else um so uh i i actually want to create a martial arts program um like a, a really shortened one uh to help veterans because what what my sifu did um was uh first of all it's it's a lot of mindfulness um and mindfulness uh, you may be familiar with what mindfulness uh meditation or mindfulness mm-hmm. uh therapy is so you know basically you you just kind of focus on yourself for a little bit and uh, i think part of it is you take yourself out of a, a situation and you you know you kind of gain a you know a certain amount of uh self uh acceptance or self-knowledge of what's going on at that moment because you know like I've, I've caught myself you know like clenching my fists and getting ready to be really upset and I'm like no nope can't do that and you know it's not one of those things uh so that's really helpful but 
it, it also has a, a lot to do with um, aggression control. And, uh, you know, when I got out of the military, uh, you, you learn hand-to-hand stuff, but a lot of it is really, really, like, brutal or lethal. Mm-hmm. So for me, like, I remember uh, when I first got out, I was like, well, if I get in a fight, I can just rip somebody's eye out and, you know, I've won the fight. <laughs> All right. When somebody bumps into you at a bar, you don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, and I came close at one point in time. All right. And, and I, I'm sure everybody here is going to be like, this guy is so violent. This guy is so angry. <laughs> this guy is crazy. Um, <laughs> no, I work really hard not to be though. No, I understand. Like I, um, honestly, people to me are like the most important thing in the world. And I've never, I've never actually hit anybody out of anger, uh, since I think I was in high school was the last time. Oh, okay. And, and I have gotten in, uh, a couple of fights since then. Um, I've avoided many more, uh, the two fights that I have gotten in, one of them, uh, I stepped between this, this, this drunk guy was at a party and he was about to beat on his fiance. Whoa. Uh, I stepped in front of that guy. Um, and then the other one was, there was another soldier who had some issues. Uh, and it was after I got out, but we were on a film set and, um, he had basically, he'd been screaming at people for like two weeks. The, the project wasn't going the way that he wanted to. He was the director. It was a school project. Um, and, uh, he, he didn't like it when I asked for, uh, the female talents email because I was, I mean, looking for talent like that, that was specifically, you know, the whole reason. And I asked for email, not a phone number. I was trying to be really professional about it. Uh, but he didn't like me. He didn't, we didn't get along already because I was, you know, at that phase where I was starting to get like all Zen and like, don't yell, don't be mad. <laughs> um, and he's like screaming about everything every other day. Uh, I had been like that about three months prior. <laughs> I was like just out of that phase myself, but he pinned me up against the wall. He was like screaming at me. And he's just like, he's got my collar and he's like, this is my set. I'm in control. What are you going to do about it? And I was just like, what am I going to do? Got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm not sorry about that. Uh, yeah. I do hope that that guy got help. Like at the time I, I didn't think too much of him, And he yeah. was actually the first, uh, I, I'd, I'd been teaching martial arts, uh, for a while at that point. It was the first real fight that I got into. And, uh, that was actually a really interesting situation because he, he kept getting angrier and angrier. And after I threw that first punch, checked I, him, I, well, I didn't throw another punch. Like I punched him and he was just angry and he like tried to punch me like four times and I blocked them all. I blocked, I blocked three out of the four. The last one didn't hurt. Like he just hit me and I'm like, that was nothing. <laughs> what is this guy even doing? And, um, and then he started like trying to grab me and like throw me around and like, I'd just be like, okay, well, I'm just going to poke you in the eye and I'll spin you around. I'll kick your knee out from under you and then I'll step <laughs> away. And it got to the point where he was, you know, he's all like, I'm going to go get a gun and uh-huh. I'm going to kill you. And, uh, you know, just, just, you know, to explain why I hadn't left yet all of the gear that we were using and it was probably ten to $15,000 of gear. Uh, and I was a poor college student at that point in time that was all checked out in my name. So if he decides that he wants to get revenge on me by setting stealing. it on fire or stealing it or, you know, throwing it off cliff, whatever, like I'm there and I'm just, I'm telling him I'm going to pack the stuff up. I'm like, look, I'm just going to pack the stuff up and I'm going to go. And then he tells me that he's going to kill me. And I realize like I'm pulling a knife. Oh. All right. I, when I was in martial arts, I used to carry uh, a knife on me quite a bit. Um, I don't anymore, but I was like pulling a knife. And I realized at that point, I'm like, he doesn't have a gun. The knife is halfway out of my pocket. And I'm like, he doesn't have a gun. I don't need to defend myself. And the knife goes back in my pocket. And I'm like, well, uh, I guess it's time for me to go. Um, 
yeah, I hope you guys have a great day. Just don't break my stuff. Bye. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I took off, and and that was I called the teacher, and I realized what happened when I was talking to him. And he's all here bragging about beating up one of my students. I'm like, I didn't even <laughs> like I honestly I punched him, but I busted my hand on his jaw, so like I was bleeding really bad, and he had a toothache. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, so I mean, the guy couldn't hurt me, but I could definitely hurt myself on him. Right, um, right. Which it's kind of embarrassing to even say that too. But no, I got blamed by that uh, for that at Grand Valley. Like everybody, I I remember like people would you know they'd come up to me like different teachers would be like you're violent you shouldn't have hit that guy and i'm like he had me pinned up against the wall i don't care wow and i was just i remember thinking violence is not the issue or yeah. not the not the solution well <laughs> sometimes it, it's necessary though especially if you feel da- endangered yeah well if it, you're it, pinned against a wall you definitely should probably I, react he crossed my line see that and, and that's the big thing that's you know talk back to the martial arts thing uh we learned basically you draw your line in the sand and you figure out what you're going to do mm. when somebody crosses it. And, um, you know, for different situations, uh, you know, like Sifu basically says, if four people uh, break into my house um, and, you know, I've got kids and, and stuff here, uh, you know, I'm not going to ask questions first. Yeah. Um, because he has kids and why are there four people in his house like that? Right. Seriously, that's, that's you know, lethal, uh, like, intent right there. I, I, yeah. I get that. Um, you know, if somebody gets mad because you, you're at a bar and you spill a beer on them or something like that, I mean, that, you don't... That's different. Yeah, you don't rip somebody's eye out for that. Yeah, no, that's right. absolutely different. Yeah. But if somebody has you pinned against a wall and they're they're yelling in your face, that's yeah. a... They're daring you to do something. Yeah. About, yeah. They're pushing you to. Uh, I want to say that there's been a couple of times where I had people who were, like, friends of friends that I didn't get along with that have been over my house inexplicably, and I tell them to leave, and they refuse. Uh, and I hate the police like I, I i always end up in a situation where and please take that with a grain of salt because i i mean i really don't like the police but i i don't uh, hate is probably a strong word you, you dislike their practices i i don't trust them at all mm-hmm. um i have called the police several times uh for for different situations every time like has been you know oh well i got robbed or my neighbor got in a fight with her uh, boyfriend and he pulled a knife on her. So he runs up to my apartment and every single Whoa. time I end up having to answer to the police for, you know, whatever. I don't know. I got robbed one time and, uh, um, and, and the cop, <laughs> he arrested my friend on like a seven year old warrant. And, like, <laughs> the only reason it hadn't meet, uh, met the statute of limitations is because apparently my friend had moved to Florida for a couple of months wow. and like, it was that amount of time, like three months that it was, uh, under the statute. And the entire time before we arrested him, he's sitting there. This is up in Traverse City, by the way. And he's all like, well, which one of you has the warrant? And we're just looking at each other like, what? <laughs> he's like, one of you has a warrant. Why, why do you have a warrant? And I'm like, uh, I don't think I do. You don't think? What have you been doing? Oh, my gosh. Nothing. But <laughs> apparently one of us does. He doesn't think he does either. <laughs> you know? Like, you can't even call the cops anymore. You can't. They're, they want to arrest you. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they kind of have an impossible job, too. You yeah. know? I mean. it It's. That that is true. Kind of like kind of like some of the same situations you were put in in Iraq. They they're put in that in their own homeland. That is true. And they kind of feel like they're a target no matter what they do. Like I mean, and I understand that they should respond betterly. They, they should they should treat people better for one, and they should respond to situations better. Um, but that being said, what kind of PTSD and 
trauma are they dealing with also? That's that's true. But at the same time, if I call them, don't try to make me a villain. Yeah. Right. No. And that that's I think that's a problem with policing, like the whole system yeah. in general. I I think that the way they train people, that's the way they train people is like they're kind of like more, the kind of like the military. Yeah, it, it is getting more militaristic and they're everybody else is the enemy. When so when somebody calls, they're the enemy. enemy. Yeah, and I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. Like I, I I do have respect for the for the police. I just I personally don't want to call them. Um, yeah, I understand. And there was a whole reason that I was saying that. I don't remember what it is. We got in this, you know, the little rabbit hole, um, <laughs> you know. But uh, uh, I don't know. I'm sure that it's relevant. Basically, there was probably a situation where, you know, I ended up calling the police or something, and it had something to do with PTSD, and it was bad. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I I I blackmailed the city to get out of a speeding ticket one time. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was on the I was on the phone with um I was on the phone with a reporter and we were talking about he was he'd been embedded with uh, my unit in Iraq and he called back to to ask people like later on um you know just talk about you know how they were doing and I hit a patch of black ice and rather hit the car in front of me. I turned off a um like it was I was on a, an exit ramp and I I went down a hill and I nicked a tree with my car. All right. And the cop pulls up, and I'm trying to leave, and I can't get out of the the little, I guess, like Ditch impression. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my car won't get out of it, and and he's like, "Well, who did you call?" And I'm like, "I didn't call. I mean, I called a tow truck." All right, well, it's an accident. Oh, how is it an accident? Well, a tree has a mark on it. <laughs> I'm like, I, "Okay, whatever." And uh, no, he he um he tried to look in my car. I wouldn't let him, and uh, he. Uh, he threw me in cuffs because he said I was attempting to leave the scene of a crime. That's not actually a crime to attempt to leave the scene of it. Basically they're saying, well, you wanted to go, but you're incompetent at doing it. So we're right. Um, so he had me in handcuffs in his car for 20 minutes and he screamed at me about how he hated his job. He, he did a, <laughs> he did a search on me, stuck his hand on my pants and what? yeah, no, he rooted around until he found some sack and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> seems like he likes his job. <laughs> he, he, he likes soldiers maybe. I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, uh, Grand Rapids apparently has a prosecutor for traffic tickets and wow. this is years later. So I feel like I can say this now, everybody, um, I walked into the prosecutor's office and he's like, well, we're, you're going to pay this ticket. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm a soldier, and he stuck his hand on my pants, and he felt my junk. Um, the city, like, everybody will be happy to hear about this story. Uh, and if you let me off the ticket, I will just be quiet. <laughs> um, so I got, a, I got a letter in the mail on the day I was supposed to appear in court, and it said that they were, uh, how was the wording? It was beautiful. Um, so basically, they were, like, rescinding the ticket, and the, uh, the um, cause was, or the reason was, in pursuit of justice. <laughs> yeah. So, awesome. All right. I still haven't talked about the VFW National Home. Uh, yeah. It's a great place. They house veterans. Uh, it's been around for almost 100 years. Um, and they've had uh, several different missions. And let me get that mission statement, and I'll read oh, it. And yeah. then I will be out of your hair so you can go be oh. with your family. Oh, you're good. Um, the VFW National Home assists military veterans and their families with children by creating a foundation of services and resources to achieve their personal and family goals in order to move forward in a positive, safe, and healthy environment. Um, and once again, my opinions and everything that I say do not reflect on the VFW National Home. Uh, if my boss uh, ever listened to this, I never, ever, ever tried MDMA. <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. Um, Would they really hold you accountable for, for that stuff? Probably not. As long as I... Uh, you know, as long as this isn't something that I that I would do currently, which I don't. Um, yeah. All right. 
Uh, but that's one thing I always found ridiculous about employers. Like, like things that you've done in your past, they're going to go to your social media. They're going to find anything they can on you and then hold it against you. Yeah. It's, they can't. Well, I mean, if, if the world that we live in now though, like the, you know, one person says, you know, um, something really disparaging and the entire company can be on the hook for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. But you know, at the same time, you really shouldn't be hating on people for no reason. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, that goes to cancel culture. I, I hate cancel culture. <laughs> Absolutely hate it. How old are you? 28. You're 28. Yeah. That's interesting. Why is that interesting? Uh, I was just reading this thing about uh, Generation X and, and technically I'm like a millennial, but I'm like the first year mm-hmm. that you can be considered a millennial. So yeah. I'm like a Gen Xial, yeah. <laughs> uh, Millennia X, I don't know. And it, it talks about the, the this post. This guy talks about um, like ways that you can appeal to uh, members of Generation X, and he's like, "Well, you know, people hate corporations, so you know, don't necessarily like deify a corporation or anything like that." And I was looking, and I was like, "That all fits me because I'm like right in the middle." So I have you know certain millennial traits. Um, mm-hmm. All right, avocados are delicious. <laughs> I love um, avocados. I know they're so good. <laughs> um, you know, but I also have a lot of like Gen X traits, so when I was younger, they always, you know, would tell us, uh, if you don't like the way a corporation is doing business, if you don't like the way that they're treating you, then your money is as good as speech. Like you can tell them by boycotting their stuff. And now, now that's called cancel culture and it's terrible. Um, and I, I think it's a really interesting, like, you know, divergence, uh, in, in the way that we look at things now. Well, I think it has more to do with the fact that, because we don't necessarily boycott companies and and their products. I do. <laughs> yeah, but not many people do. There's not That's movements true. behind it. That is. True. I mean, people still buy iPhones and they know where they come from. Are you talking about the Foxconn? Yeah. yeah. Why aren't we boycotting that? I mean, I just I just bought a new iPhone. I I'm I'm nasty. I'm a dirty person. This is Samsung, and it probably <laughs> also came from Foxconn. Yeah, you're just as bad. Yeah, you're a piece of shit too. I know. <laughs> I know. Every day. Every day. But the thing is, is like. There's so many things that we all agree to, but then when somebody says something that is, you know, some something that they don't agree with, then then that person should be canceled or boycotted or whatever you want to call it. Well, and to, they want to ruin their career over it. To and, a certain degree though, like there there is think about it this way. What if Germany had canceled Hitler? Yeah, but is there anybody that's a Hitler today in in America? Okay, let's not get into this conversation. <laughs> because, um, yeah, I this mean, is, I mean, unless we're talking about like white nationalists or something. That's a, that's but, exactly. I don't want to get into that because that that but, makes me that makes me angry. But my my point is is like whenever somebody talks about something that's controversial that you don't necessarily agree with, like whether it's COVID or politics or right. something, like for instance. I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I interviewed a guy on the podcast a few weeks ago. His name's Ryan Kelly. He's running for governor. Just a conversation, like okay. how you and I are having. Like, I just wanted to get to know him. That way, like, the general general public can, like, see him just as a person, not necessarily his politics. Okay. And the hatred that came my way was ridiculous. People were sending, sending because uh, I posted in a couple of Facebook groups, people were sending the moderator, um, posts like in and messages about how 
that I shouldn't be allowed to post on there. People were saying that I just want attention and other people were just, just the hatred. It was, it was amazing. And just because somebody doesn't agree with somebody's somebody and the, the, the hold on. The thing is, is like, I hadn't even posted the episode yet. I oh. just, I just promoted the episode. I, I posted a picture of him and I, and then I said, you know, this episode's going to be airing tomorrow and the hatred right came and then people were messaging the moderator telling her that she needs to take my stuff down they can't believe that she's allowing this on this on the platform and this white supremacy and i'm like oh my gosh this is absolutely ridiculous so first of all i don't i don't necessarily think that that all of the the i'm guessing this person was on the republican side of the fence yeah i mean there's uh governor gretchen whitmer's running unopposed so they're all republicans really yeah oh yeah. Huh. Yeah. So who am I going to interview? <laughs> yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, but the thing is, I announced that I'm also going to be interviewing other Republicans, not just him. Right. But, you know, I understand the problem that they had with this guy. You know, he's a Republican, um, which for some reason, if you're a Republican, that that equates to being like pro Trump and pro pro like white supremacy and all this other stuff. But um, I understand the controversy with this guy because he was at the January 6th um, thing. Um, he has a like a, a big TikTok following that is, um, you know, pretty controversial. So I understand the controversy around it. But yeah, there's nothing wrong with having a conversation with somebody. You can't. Well, you also can't ignore that kind of thing either. I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Even... I don't. I don't think this is the right like way to to put this, but you know, even like those old Warner Brother cartoons that you see. Have you ever yeah watched? I mean, those yeah. things. There's some stuff in there that really shouldn't be shown. Um, you know, like Heckle and Jekyll, and like there's there's somewhere they basically have animated blackface. Um, like some of that stuff is just really bad. Yeah, and they still show that on TV today. And and mm. there's a disclaimer before it that basically says this was created in a time that was absolutely horrible. And really, nobody should be exposed to this. But we're still going to show it. <laughs> if we ignore it, then it is the same as denying that it ever happened. Mm. Now, that being said, I I don't, I mean, maybe they're still just trying to make money off of it. That's fine, whatever. I Well, it's not, but, you know, I mean, nobody's going to, I can't stop that. Yeah. But they're also right. Um, you know, you can't ignore history. You can't ignore things. You can't ignore white supremacy and hope it's going to go away. Yeah. Uh, you really just can't. Um, we can still hope it goes away. You can't just ignore it because at, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I do think that's a threat to this country. Um, actually, I think, I think a lot of things are a threat to this country. Oh yeah. I think rioting and looting is a threat to the country. When all that was happening in 2020, that was scary. It's it's a threat to our local government, our local businesses, our local business owners, our local community. That's true. That is true. I um, you know, regardless of ideology, regardless of uh political beliefs, regardless of everything. I mean, I think a lot of things are just a, a threat, you know, and I I I think that cancel culture is a threat. I think that when you don't give somebody a place to to come and talk and you just want to silence them and not, not include them in the conversation that allows for echo chambers to happen. That allows them to go and start their own podcast and, and then allow 
all these other people who agree with them to congregate in one area. And then that's when you end up with situations like January 6th. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But if you can include them in the conversation and, you know, by other people hearing what Ryan Kelly has to say and his beliefs and why he's running and some of the things that he wants to see change, then that can make somebody, if they listen to it, they could be like, oh, I don't want to vote for him. I don't want him as our governor. That's true. And that's, that's that's the whole point of the podcast. I, and I really do hope that, that, that is what happens and what, what comes out of it. Um, and I hope that people, you know, if, if, if you've helped avoid uh, somebody like that getting a bigger foothold uh, that people, you know, actually acknowledge that. Um, but I mean, on the other hand, it could, you know, some people might be like, I like that guy, <laughs> you know, it's a, what do you do? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I could, I could keep bringing up television theories that actually explain that kind of thing. Yeah. Archie Bunker. Yeah. Yeah. That was supposed to be like a bad parody of what, uh, like a white nationalist was like, and he actually had a following. Um, yeah. Uh, which is kind of crazy. Stephen Colbert actually was, was kind of the same way where he wasn't, it wasn't like white nationalism, but it was, uh, like a parody of a Republicanism Mm. that he did on his show. And there was like a certain percentage of the population that no matter what he said and how ridiculous it sounded, um, (laughs) they agreed with it. (laughs) Yeah. They're just like, Oh, this guy knows where it's at. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and the rest of us are just laughing. Yeah. Oh, he's just making a joke. Okay. That's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. People, people, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I think I said something about people sucking or something on here somewhere. <laughs> you said kids are stupid. Well, every in large numbers, everybody's stupid. Like that. Uh-huh. That seems to be human history, right? Yeah, we're all stupid. We are. Yeah, but we're all we're all learning. Hopefully, hopefully, some of us are not. All right, let's end this thing. Yeah, because we can talk all night. Yeah. Thank you for this two-hour conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. It's yeah. been a pleasure. I would say thank you for your service, but you don't like that. So <laughs> so thank you for uh, trying to make a difference in, in Americans' lives. And uh, hopefully one day you'll put out one of those movies and we'll all be able to watch it. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. See ya. See ya. Bye, everybody.